There is a move in Great Britain to make organ donation automatic. No permission needed. We'll discuss it with two bioethicists. And we'll handicap today's Michigan primary. Also, with President Bush in the Middle East, are we spiraling towards the biblical apocalypse? This is Jerry Johnson Live from Criswell College. Join us as we look at today's news from the Christian worldview for Christ and culture. Mr. Gorbachev, tear down this wall. That's one small step for man, one giant leap for mankind. December 7th, 1941, a date which will live in infamy. I have a dream. It depends upon what the meaning of the word is. Yes. And the people who knock these buildings down will hear all of us soon. We will not tire, we will not falter, and we will not fail. Welcome to Jerry Johnson Live. For the next hour, this is your place for relevant discussion of topics in the news and in our culture from a Christian perspective. Your host is Dr. Jerry Johnson, president of Criswell College and Criswell Communications. Later in the show, we'll open the toll-free lines for your questions and comments. You may also email us at talk at jerryjohnsonlive.com. Now, here's your host, Dr. Jerry Johnson. All right, that's the Michigan fight song, the Wolverines. This isn't Keith Jackson, it's Jerry Johnson Live, but we're talking about this fight that Republicans are having tonight in Michigan. Just briefly, in a moment, we'll give you an update. Who is the values conservative for the Republicans? Who is the defense conservative? Who is the economic conservative? Is it John McCain, Mike Huckabee, Mitt Romney, or Fred Thompson? We're going to talk about that in just a minute. And which way uh, the Michigan voters seem to be going tonight? And there's an interesting story uh, out of Great Britain. Prime Minister Gordon Brown is supporting a move to allow hospitals to take organs from dead patients without their previous consent or the consent of their family members. The government is also putting pressure on doctors and nurses to identify more potential donors. Is this an answer to the organ shortage? Or a gruesome solution. We'll talk about that later in the program. Also, uh, finally, uh, President Bush is attempting to persuade Arab leaders, he is there in the Middle East, to pressure Iran to pull back on its nuclear program. Is a nuclear Iran inevitable? What does the Bible have to say about that? We're going to talk with theologian Ron Rhodes. He's written a book about it. All right, Penna, this is one of the most interesting primary seasons ever for Republicans because we have a different winner in each state. Yeah. But John McCain is considered to be the favorite tonight. Uh, maybe Mitt Romney, though, up in Michigan. McCain has the momentum. Uh, this is the home state for Romney. Uh, but John McCain pitching himself uh, as an economic conservative that wants to cut spending. The first thing you want to do is stop the out-of-control spending. Veto these bills. Stop the billions of dollars that are going to pork barrel, wasteful, outrageous. Well, I think most people like that kind of talk, and they want to see that kind of action. This is a real interesting endorsement now. A major Democrat, the man who ran on the national ticket for the Democrats some time ago as a vice mm -hmm. presidential candidate, just eight years ago, the, the vice presidential candidate now endorsing 
a Republican. Who is he endorsing? This is Senator Joe Lieberman endorsing John McCain. I'm here because John McCain will be the president and commander-in-chief America needs at this time in our history. Okay, so McCain being touted as a commander-in-chief and as a tax cutter. And so we have two legs of that stool. We have the economic conservatism. We have the defense conservatism. But McCain actually coming up weak on the life issues and the marriage issues. On this program, Dr. Dobson said some time ago he would never support John McCain because John McCain, not strong defending marriage, not strong really against embryonic stem cell research. You know, they're there in Michigan where the auto industry is ailing. And uh, John McCain is a big global warming hawk. And uh, he has backed these cafe standards, 35 miles per gallon by 2020. So really, some of his policies actually hurt the auto industry. And, you know, he's an economic conservative sometimes. Joe Lieberman is backing him. Joe Lieberman is not a domestic policy conservative. He's, He's a defense hawk, but he's a liberal as far as domestic policy goes. Okay, so John McCain has the momentum in Michigan. We'll see what happens tonight. But Mitt Romney has the organization and the family connection to pull this thing off in Michigan. He really needs a win. I mean, he won Wyoming, but not much there. So here's Mitt Romney, and here's what he's saying. Uh, He's appealing to uh, concerns that most Americans have, many of you have, about illegal immigration. Mitt Romney. And then we're going to say to the 12 million who've come here illegally, get in line with everybody else. There's no special pathway for illegals. Okay, after losing Iowa, after losing New Hampshire, if he loses tonight, a lot of people say, well, Romney will have to drop out. He does not have to drop out. Here's Newt Gingrich saying why he doesn't. He has the deepest pockets of anybody. If he's willing to spend the money, he can be around a long, long time. He has already spent millions and millions and millions of dollars of his own money to become president of the United States. And um, why not, you know, uh, keep on going at least, uh, you know, sometimes. still lots of millions left. Yeah, until next month. But that's Mitt Romney. And, of course, Fred Thompson pretty much sitting this one out. But he's been polling third now in certain polls. And... Um, you know, he can come on strong in South Carolina. That's really where he's making his stand. He needs to be number one or number two in South Carolina. And he's making the case that he is the one consistent conservative. Friends, we're in a fight for our conservative values. I'm a conservative. Always have been. Always will be. I'll fight against amnesty and benefits for illegals. I'll work to keep your taxes low and keep a prosperous economy. I'm 100% pro-life. That's why South Carolina Citizens for Life endorsed me. And you can trust me to protect our security against Islamic radicals. I'm Fred Thompson, and I approve this message because with your help, we can win this fight. I'd appreciate your vote Saturday. Okay, so that's Senator Fred Thompson running for president of the United States, and he is working to win South Carolina. And, of course, don't forget Mike Huckabee. A lot of momentum around Mike Huckabee, uh, the Baptist pastor turned governor, turned presidential candidate. And um, who will it be? Again, can someone link together the way Reagan did values conservatives, defense conservatives, and economic conservatives. That's really the coalition, the winning coalition for conservatives in the United States. And Newt Gingrich really kind of summed this up. We really don't know who it's going to be yet. Huckabee was the front runner for about four days. Romney, you know, I mean, McCain's now the front runner. Giuliani was the front runner for nine months. If Romney wins today, he may well be the front runner by next week. Uh, the, the Republican nomination is the most open it's been since 1940. 
Penna, we're going to keep our listeners informed on this, but we want to remember um, the sanctity of human life really is uh, the principle, I think, that most Christians uh, ought to be concerned about when they elect a public official like a president of the United States. You've written an excellent essay about the pro-life president. I want to ask our listeners to be looking for that Baptist Press piece that you've written because a president can make such a difference on the way this nation treats the unborn and um, protects them, protects human life. We will be providing updates as these primaries roll on, and uh, we'll be praying that America gets the right kind of leader. We get it right. Well, speaking of human life, there's this story coming out of Great Britain, and uh, the prime minister there, Gordon Brown, is supporting a plan that would really mean it was automatically presumed that uh, your organs could be used for medical purposes once you die. And uh, there's a big uh, controversy about this, and patients' groups there are totally opposed to this. They say it would take away patients' rights uh, over their own bodies. And with us to discuss this is Greg Ratecki. He is a fellow at the Center for Bioethics and Human Dignity, also Director of Medical Education at the Mount Carmel Health Center in Columbus, Ohio. Greg, thank you for joining us. Thanks for asking me. Greg, uh, this is a fight taking place in Great Britain. Uh, What do you think of this idea of an automatic presumption, presumed consent, that your organs could be used once you die? Yeah, the terminology used is called opting out, which means that during your lifetime, when you're asked for your opinion on organs, uh, unless you explicitly state you do not want them taken, it's presumed when you die, if you say nothing, that you would give up your organs. And uh, I think it's happening uh, with Gordon Brown now because the number of people donating organs in Great Britain is fairly low, and it's the 60th anniversary of their health service. But as much as that bothers me, it's even more insidious because he also wants to have physicians at hospitals to act as champions to try to identify potential donors. And that would be horrible in the face of the Christian Hippocratic tradition because a physician would be conflicted and would actually be trying to identify people he should be helping uh, to live and trying to identify A little scary to go into a hospital and feel like you may be a target for someone to get your organs. That's absolutely correct. In the United States, uh, African-American individuals donate less because they mistrust the hospitals, and I can't blame them. And I think if something like that were to happen here, you're absolutely correct that people would be afraid. Transplant depends on the trust of a virtuous community who wants to help people. And if we ever breached that trust to raise the type of concern we are here, I'm afraid the backlash would be less people would donate. You're listening to Jerry Johnson Live. We're talking to Greg Rutecki. He is Director for Medical Education at Mount Carmel Health Center in Columbus, Ohio. Uh, Greg, let me ask you this. I'm looking at this um, task force in the U.K. that's been working on a report. Uh, They have 14 recommendations. And even they note, quote, a conflict of interest trying to save lives and those trying to ensure every possible organ is harvested. Would this change really the way a doctor looks at a patient um, as, a, as a patient or a prospect for organ donation? 
It sure does. I, th- I think that for a very long time, what was wonderful about medicine, it fell under the umbrella of what we call a Christian Hippocratic tradition. Explain that if you would. Yes, I would. Doctors have separated from the old uh, shamans or witch doctors. We're supposed to always be pro-life. We're against killing in the context of abortion. We're against euthanasia. What happens there is that conflict of black medicine, the doctor killing or dispatching, and white medicine, the doctor healing like he's supposed to, uh, become conflicted, and patients are looked at potentially as a commodity in that instance, that if they do die, there's a potential there for them to donate organs. The way it's set up presently in the United States is the physician who is responsible for retrieving the organs is not involved at all until a determination of death is made so that that uh, conflict is taken away to the benefit of both the donor and the recipient. Do you think there would be some unintended consequences um, with this policy? I think there's tremendous uh, potential for abuse. What Gordon Brown was talking about was raiding hospitals on the number of donations. The last thing we want to do is put hospitals in a position of wanting to identify more people who are potential donors. It almost uh, makes one cringe at the idea of the novel coma coming to life in a hospital. Uh, Yeah, I think actually uh, the government ratings um, might produce... um flight from those hospitals if they have a good organ donation rate. Uh, so a lot of people might not want to check into those hospitals. They might want their doctors to give them a, a better chance. Is there any concern that early indicators of death might not be reliable? I mean, they say, well, we're going to only target those whose survival is impossible. We've got about 30 seconds here. Yeah, no, I, I think we have to be very clear that from a Christian perspective, we have to honor the fact that death has to be absolute, that it's by brain death criteria or cardiac criteria, but there can be no gray zone. There's a tremendous difference between death and life. Greg Rutecki, thank you so much for being with us. We hope to have you back again. Thank you, sir. All right, folks, we're going to stay on this subject, and with us we have uh, a man from the U.K., no stranger to you on Jerry Johnson Live, Dr. David Cook of Oxford University and Wheaton College, also teaches here at Criswell College, our Oxford Distinguished Scholars term. Dr. Cook is going to talk about um, hospitals in the U.K. taking organs without permission. Also, are you ready to eat cloned meat? We're going to talk about that when we come back cloned meat churches all over town christian radio and tv god opens the windows of heaven to you the pledge of allegiance and in your pocket on a few coins a declaration of trust one nation under god we should be looking for candidates who endorse us january 29th criswell college presents a lecture series to explore if it's still true one nation under god dr richard land president of the ethics and religious liberties commission will be speaking it is our responsibility to speak up for those who cannot speak for themselves you are invited we've got so much to talk about january 29th 30th and 31st at the criswell college in dallas we'll 
still here if America's past is on track with America's future. One nation under God. Listen also for extra coverage from the CRN News Team. More of the music and ministry you can trust. This month from the Criswell Radio Network. You're listening to Jerry Johnson Live. Now here's your host, Dr. Jerry Johnson, president of Criswell College and Criswell Communications. We don't want socialized medicine. We don't want Hillary care, but we do want to make sure we get private market dynamics to get people insured. All right, that's Mitt Romney. He's running for president of the United States. He's up there in Michigan, and he is saying we don't want government-run health care. We don't want Hillary care, he calls it. And uh, there is a question about nationalized health care, socialized medicine. What does that bring us? Does it bring us ends, justifies the means, any means? And we're hearing a story out of the U.K. where the Prime Minister, Gordon Brown, is proposing a kind of an opt-out system for organ donation. Instead of opting in, you must opt out. Otherwise, it is presumed that you are a candidate for organ donation when you go into a hospital in the U.K. With us to talk about it, Dr. E. David Cook. Dr. Cook is the Arthur Holmes Professor of Faith and Learning at Wheaton. Also, he is the Criswell College Professor for our Oxford Distinguished Scholars term. He served there at Oxford University as a professor for many years. Welcome back to the program, Dr. Cook. Well, welcome. Good to hear you. Thank you. Dr. Cook, uh, tell Americans what we need to know about this development in the U.K. Do you have concerns about it? Absolutely. You know, um, Americans and Britons, we've fought really hard so that patients' consent was absolutely fundamental. A patient said, yes, you can do this. No, you can't do this. What Gordon Brown and the Labour government are planning is to take away that consent, to take away the right of the individual to his or her own body, and the government are going to be in charge of your body, rather you being in charge or your family being in charge. That's a fundamental shift, and it's disastrous. Dr. Cook, do you see these doctors... Uh, we, we see that there's a rating system. There's going to be a champion of donation. <laughs> we, uh, is this going to change the way a doctor looks at a patient? He knows that his hospital needs to reach a quota. It's going to be rated. Uh, is he going to be tempted to look at that patient as a possible organ donor rather than a life that he's to save? Absolutely. We had a thing uh, a number of years ago called the Exeter Protocol, where people who were very near the end of life were taken down to uh, ICU, to a special care unit, and were kept alive so their organs could be taken. That system was abused, and the government had to close it down. So there is a real risk that doctors will no longer want what's best for the patient in front of them, but rather they'll be thinking, here's a good liver, here's a good kidney, here's a good heart, let's get rid of this individual and take it. Dr. Cook, it's good to have you. You know, in in conjunction with the partial birth abortion debate in this country, we had uh, a lot of information coming out about the freshness of organs that were needed for certain purposes and that partial birth abortion facilitated that. To me, uh, when, when I look at this, I can see that uh, people's death might be hastened just to get their organs in some well, cases. You're, you're quite right, and it's a proper concern because ideally you've got two operating beds beside each other. You pronounce one patient dead, you whip out the organ, yeah. and you put it immediately into the other thing, into the other body because that's, it's the time gap which is the problem. 
storing organs does them damage, carrying organs does them damage. So you want as quickly as possible to get from one body to the other. And this will be a, a step in that direction, which will be frightening because the individual who's losing their organs, they can be switched off at any point. Uh, Dr. Cook, I have one other question about this. Do you believe government-run health care by nature will lead to these kinds of proposals? I don't think it will by nature, because I think that always, when anybody is in charge, Plato used to ask the question, who guards the guardians? And we have to ask that about government, whether it's big government, little government, socialized government, capitalist, it doesn't make any difference. We need to have people who are good watchdogs, who are in control. So I don't think in and of itself. But you see, here's an example where a health service was meant to provide a basic level of care for everybody in that society. And now we're into such specialized medicine that for the few, they're going to be given this advantage and other people are put at risk. Dr. Cook, there's this other development described in the Sunday Times about custom-built organs where they, the scientists have actually created a beating heart. They've just right. taken the protein skeleton of the heart and then right. filled it. Uh, can you give us some more information on this? Uh, what's basically happened, and so far it's just in the lab, they've taken a heart of a rat, the rat is, is dead, the heart was literally dead. What they've done is they've taken out all the old genetics and put in new stem cells and they've created a beating heart. Now, that's quite different, of course, from putting it back in the rat and bringing the rat back to life. But this is a, a movement <laughs> whereby they're going to take from an individual, from uh, their own stem cells, uh, from their umbilical cord, uh, they're going to take those kinds of stem cells, and they will be to, able to regenerate. The problem is the time gap, because if you and I need a new heart today, it's going to take six, seven, eight months, perhaps six, seven, eight years before you have a fully grown functioning heart. So we're a long, long way from being able to actually do this in hospitals. They're doing it in the lab, but doing it in hospitals is going to be a different ballgame. You're listening to Jerry Johnson Live. We're talking to Dr. David Cook. He has served as fellow and chaplain at Green College, Oxford University, for many years. That is the leading medical college there at Oxford. Uh, Dr. Cook, uh, changing course just a moment here. Um, I want you to listen to this news report about meat, eating meat from cloned cows. The FDA now says meat and milk from cloned animals is safe, but don't expect to see it on your store shelf soon. It'll be years before it's in your store. There are economic reasons for that, but some large food companies like Hormel, maker of Spam, say they'll never sell it because of consumer anxiety over it. Rita Foley, Washington. Now, Dr. Cook, most Americans are really surprised when uh, Spam rejects <laughs> anything because <laughs> we don't know what's in Spam. But uh, are there concerns? I know over in, in Europe there are concerns about genetically altered uh, vegetables and fruits, but also uh, meats. Uh, do you have any concerns about eating meat from cloned animals? Absolutely, because, you see, what, what's happened, we just learned cloning. Dolly just happened a few years ago, and now we're actually growing animals and taking those animals, killing them, and going to use them for food. We have no idea the long-term effects. And that's one of the problems and why people in the European scene are so concerned about genetic modification of vegetables and corn crops, because here are we, particularly in the United States, eating bread which is grown from that kind of corn. We've no idea what the long, long-term effects are. 
you know, the contraceptive pill was introduced. Uh, women thought, this is wonderful. It releases me from all kinds of anxiety. Then they discovered there's a link between the contraceptive pill and heart disease. But it was 25, 30 years down the line before these links were shown. Yes, we should be anxious. Yes, we should be uh, concerned. But, but also, we should be making sure that meat is labeled so we know that this, where this meat comes from. And then the consumer is a genuine choice. Yes, I can eat this, or no, I don't want to eat this. Just now it's not labeled. And so people are eating it in ignorance and may be affected long term. Dr. Cook, we're broadcasting from Criswell College. You're going to be here next month to speak in our chapel. And for the last few summers, we've been offering what's called the Oxford Distinguished Scholars Term in the summer, where Criswell College students go to Oxford in the U.K., learn on the British system, would you just talk to our listeners for a moment about why this kind of work is important and uh, you're really your support of what we're doing here at Criswell in that way? Absolutely. Well, uh, first of all, you have to understand that most of the people in government in the, in the United Kingdom, most of the people who are leading industry, who are in broadcasting and journalism, they went through places like Oxford and Cambridge. What's special? They teach individuals one-on-one. They take the very brightest, it's very competitive to get in, and then they give them that particular experience of how to think, how to write in a critically reflective, creative kind of way. Now, I believe that we as Christians have a calling from God to develop our minds, to develop our thinking, develop our writing, and that's why I'm delighted to be part of Criswell and to bring the, the, some of the finest of your folks, bring them over, give them that experience, and it will change them for a lifetime. Mm. Well, Dr. David Cook will be here next month in chapel. We'll let you know two or three days in advance, Dr. Cook. We need to bring him in the studio, too. Yes, it's very good. We'll do it while he's here. It's very good to have you on again. We'll be in touch shortly. Okay, God bless you all, and thank you. Good night. All right, folks, uh, a lot of issues. You know, um, when we hear people talk about health care, particularly Hillary and Obama, are promising universal health care. And they're saying, you know, we want British-styled or Canadian-styled health care. But with it comes this kind of big brother proposal that Gordon Brown and um, has recommending in the U.K. that your organs can be taken without your consent. And once uh, you are presumed to be dying, your case is hopeless, um, they can go after your organs. What do you think of that? Well, it's not far-fetched, Dr. Johnson, because whenever you have universal health care or national health care, it becomes very, very expensive. And so the government has to look for ways to save money. And one of the ways, of course, would be to ration health care, to say people at the end of life don't have a good quality of life, you don't deserve to live, and so you know we're going to withhold care from you. Another way, I think, would be to force people to donate their organs, and that's what this story sort of illustrates for us the dangers of that kind of a system, which does exist in the United Kingdom. So this is the body snatchers, the invasion of the body snatchers, or Soyant Green, or some film maybe that you've seen years ago about this sort of a theme. But it's probably not a good idea for the same people who are supposed to be saving your life to be conflicted over the rating their hospital is going to get on how many organs they've been able to pull out successfully without the patient's permission. Let's remember the Christian principle here is the sanctity of human life. And the old Hippocratic Oath, which we heard a few moments ago, referenced that uh, doctors are to save human life. They're not to take human life. They're never to, on purpose, hasten uh, death. 
And uh, this kind of a proposal, I think, compromises that ethic, the Christian worldview, that we are all created in God's image. Every life is sacred at every stage and every age. Well, with all the turmoil in the Middle East, Iran, Iraq, Israel, let's talk about the end times. Let's talk about the Bible. Coming up next, Ron Rhodes has written a book, Northern Storm Rising, Russia, Iran, and the Emerging End Times Military Coalition Against Israel. We've been talking about John Hagee. We've been talking about President Bush and Israel. Let's talk about it when we come back. You're listening to Jerry Johnson Live. Now here's your host, Dr. Jerry Johnson, President of Criswell College and Criswell Communications. I have a dream that my four little children will one day live in a nation where they will not be judged by the color of their skin, but by the content of their character. I have a dream today. All right, that's Martin Luther King, Jr. Martin Luther King, Jr., his I Have a Dream speech. We're going to talk about that in the next segment. We're going to talk about Hillary and Obama because they are fighting over who uh, really uh, should get the black vote. And uh, today is Dr. King's birthday, and, of course, the national holiday is next Monday. But we're going to start talking about him this week and uh, what are the lessons to be learned from this speech. They may surprise you coming up in the next segment. But, Penna, we've been reading about President Bush. He's going to the Middle East. He's been to the Middle East, and he's working on an Israeli-Palestinian peace accord of some kind. And we just heard today that uh, he's over there with the Saudis, and he's actually trying to sell them or or making an agreement to give them smart bombs, smart bombs. Mm -hmm. And one question we might want to ask, is this really a good idea? Because could these weapons end up being used against Israel. And um, we're looking at Israel in the Middle East, all the conflict, all the terrorism, Iran and Iraq. And uh, Russia seems to be increasingly hostile to what we want to do, uh, hostile to the Israelis. Should this be a surprise? What does the Bible say? With us to talk about it is Ron Rhodes. He's written the book, Northern Storm Rising. The subtitle is Russia, Iran, and the Emerging End Times Military Coalition Against Israel. Ron Rhodes is a graduate of Dallas Theological Seminary. It's good to have you back, Ron. Well, thanks. It's good to be with you today. Ron, tell us, um, should we be surprised that we see a regional and really a, a worldwide hostility against Israel, and particularly uh, Russia now re-emerging as our strategic opponent in the region. What do you think? Well, I don't think we should be surprised because the prophet Ezekiel, you know, thousands of years ago, prophesied that one day there would be an alliance between a number of nations, including Russia and Iran and Turkey and a number of other nations, that would one day launch an invasion into Israel. Now, of course, one of the backdrops to this is is that God promised Israel a specific plot of land. He was very specific about that in the Abrahamic covenant. And that was uh, a covenant that was passed on to each succeeding patriarch. Uh, It wasn't given to Ishmael and the Arabs, but rather it was given to Israel. 
But the Muslims claim that the Bible has been corrupted by the Jews. In other words, they claim that the Old Testament promises were really to Ishmael and the Arabs, so the land belongs to them. And so both sides have argued that God has promised the land to each respective side. Now, of course, you know and I know that uh, the Abrahamic covenant is to the Jews and the Jews alone. But there is a religious hatred against Israel today. And it's interesting to me that even though Ezekiel prophesied that these nations would align against Israel, back in Ezekiel's day, they weren't Muslim nations. But interestingly, today, all the nations that were prophesied to come together against Israel, aside from Russia, are Muslim nations. Now, that's, that's fascinating to me. You know, Ron, I think when people were writing about this years ago, um, they really didn't see, you know, what would unite um, these nations in their hostility towards Israel. You're right now. We see a Muslim kind of an alliance against Israel. Uh, you know, I think a lot of Christians would agree with you about the promise to Abraham over in Genesis. It's repeated several times. It's repeated in Joshua 1 and yes. elsewhere. But a lot of them might be surprised to hear you say that about Russia mentioned in the book of Ezekiel. Would you just relate the reference of that promise and explain your understanding of Russia actually being in the book of Ezekiel? Well, I believe that uh, a, a study of the key words that are used in uh, Ezekiel 36 through 39 gives us some key indications that Russia is indeed involved. And I've got a chapter in my book uh, that deals specifically with the nations. And there's one reference in this passage to Rosh, which has been very, very controversial. There have been some scholars, of course, who say that to identify Rosh with modern Russia is simply to relate two similar-sounding words. But what I've done in the book is that I've traced the history, you know, since uh, the time of Ezekiel on up to the present time. And it's fascinating to observe that this word and variants of this word have been used to refer to the specific people that live in and around Russia. And uh, what I've done in the book is I've actually quoted a number of very reliable scholars. I'm not talking about sensationalists. I'm talking about very reliable scholars who have done word studies on Rosh and found that the word refers to the people living in and around Russia. For example, Wilhelm Jesenius uh, and C.F. Kyle of the Kyle and Dalich Commentary. I mean, these are very reliable scholars. And so I believe that if you trace the history of the word and trace the history of the people, uh, it becomes very clear that it's referring to the people living in and around Russia. Just to give you one example, uh, the term Rosh appears as a place name in Egyptian in inscriptions as early as 2600 B.C. Now that's pretty close uh, you know, to a lot of <laughs> right. the biblical times. And uh, it refers to people who are north of Egypt, uh, there's also so it's not just the word and the sound; it's the direction on the map. Well, the north. Right. I was going to get to that. You know, it's to the uttermost most north of Israel. And if you get out a ruler, and you draw a line straight north from Israel, you're going to go straight through Moscow. Hmm. And it's to the uttermost north, not just north, but to the uttermost north. So, in other words, you got to go as north as you can go, and that's got to be Russia. 
Now, the fact is, is that there's going to be naysayers against this. And today you've got all kinds of people in, uh, you know, preterist theology and replacement theology. And uh, there's people who think that the Old Testament is referred, you know, is completely fulfilled in the New Testament church. But you know what? When you look at the specifics that are contained in Ezekiel and 38 and 39, it's just amazing to measure that against what we're seeing taking place today, because I believe that the stage is being set. Oh, Ron, let me jump in. This, this is Penna Dexter, and uh, our guest is Ron Rhodes. Northern Storm Rising is his book. He's the president of Reasoning from the Scriptures Ministries. And we do have to be careful as we look at prophecy and current events, not to try to get too specific. But I'm wondering what it makes you think, as you've been studying this, when you see this growing alliance between Russia and Iran. I mean, Russia is building a power plant in Iran, and, you know, there's this transfer of nuclear weapons to that country, uh, which is a little dangerous in most of our minds. I think that's why President Bush is over there uh, to a great degree. But does this give you concern or pause uh, when well, you look at really this? Well, it really does. And, you know, one thing I point out in my book is that I don't like sensationalism. I don't like newspaper eschatology, because there's been many people in the past who have tried to set very specific dates based upon their understanding of current events. You have to be careful of not I mean, doing that. I don't that. think we should do that. I think we should be very cautious. Yet, on the other hand, Jesus did exhort his followers to understand the times, to be able to look at current events and understand biblical prophecy. And if you're going to say that you can't, uh, you know, align current events with possible fulfillments of biblical prophecy, then a whole lot of the Bible becomes irrelevant, because a lot of the Bible is prophecy to begin with. And so, on the one hand, we should not be sensationalistic, and yet, on the other hand, Jesus did tell us to be accurate observers of the times. And with that in mind, when I see these alliances developing between Russia and Iran and other nations, not just in terms of nuclear technology, but of course Iran has made a 25-year military deal with Russia that involves you know, air, airplanes and jets and submarines and ships and all kinds of hardware. Uh, that's pretty significant. And when you mix that with the fact that uh, the president of Iran, Ahmadinejad, is an apocalyptic sort of a John the Baptist for the coming of the 12th Imam, whom he says is going to come in the next few years mm -hmm. to really subject the entire world to Islam, that becomes a dangerous mix. It really does. Do you get concerned when you see President Bush over there making deals to sell smart weapons to Arab nations? Well, I, I am concerned about that because I think it's going to come back to uh, to become a problem. One of the things that we've seen in the past number of years is that, on the one hand, we're trying to make foreign deals to do away with some of the hostilities that exist, but then in the end, it can cause more problems than we encountered on. Uh, one example of that is the fact that we're spending billions of dollars in purchasing oil from Middle East nations, and unfortunately... Some of the profits of those nations are being used in turn to finance terrorism, which we're spending money against as well. You see, so we find ourselves in this scenario. Uh, on the one hand, we're trying to spend money to uh, do away with the problems that exist over there. And yet, on the other hand, we're actually contributing to the problem. And I think the same thing could, could happen in terms of some of these, uh, th these arms that are being sold. They might come back to bite us. You're listening to Jerry Johnson Live. We're talking to Ron Rhodes. He's written the book, Northern Storm Rising. Ron, can you hold on till Absolutely. after this break? Okay. Here's a couple of questions I want to put to you to be thinking about. A lot of people confused. 
about the difference between the Battle of Armageddon and a battle concerning Gog and Magog. And uh, in terms of the timing of what you've just been talking about, we want to talk about that when we come back. And we want to talk about this idea of the Jews exchanging land for peace. And our guest is Ron Rhodes. He holds a Ph.D. from Dallas Theological Seminary. He's written the book Northern Storm Rising. We'll also reflect for a few moments on Dr. Martin Luther King, Jr. This is Jerry Johnson Live with Pennedexter. We're right here at Criswell College, and we'll be right back with Ron Rhodes. If you're looking for a college experience that is distinctively Christian, come to Criswell College. Contact us today for information about the upcoming term. Criswell College places a strong emphasis on the Word of God, a Christian worldview, and being an effective witness to a world that needs Jesus Christ. Criswell College is totally committed to the Bible as the authoritative, inspired, and inerrant Word of God to ensure that every student receives a solid biblical and doctrinal foundation. Our worldview approach to ministry prepares every Criswell College student to view each academic discipline through a Christian frame of reference and to engage our culture and the world of ideas from a Christian perspective. Along with this word and worldview emphasis, each Criswell College student gets hands-on ministry training in missions and evangelism to be an effective witness through mission trips at home and abroad. Contact Criswell College today for information about the upcoming term. Call 1-800-899-0012 or on the web go to criswell.edu. That's chriswell.edu. You're listening to Jerry Johnson Live. Now here's your host, Dr. Jerry Johnson, president of Criswell College and Criswell Communications. I think it's unwise for the United States or any nation to pressure Israel to give up land that was given to them in the biblical covenant, and most assuredly, it would be unwise for them to divide the city of Jerusalem. All right, that's pastor and author John Hagee, and our guest today is Ron Rhodes, and he's written the book Northern Storm Rising. Welcome back, Ron. Do you agree with that statement from John Hagee about Israel giving up land for peace? Well, that's a good question, and you're going to find Christians on both sides of that. Uh, my personal opinion is that God made very specific land promises to Israel. You know, you read about it in Genesis 15, verses 18 to 21, and then you see it down in uh, Genesis 26, verses 3 and 4, uh, in the context of Isaac, and then it's passed on from Isaac to Jacob in Genesis 28, verses 13 and 14. Uh, we find it again in uh, other passages throughout the Old Testament. So I think that, first of all, we need to recognize that ultimately those land promises must be fulfilled. I don't think it was conditional. I think God made an unconditional promise to Israel. It's my personal belief, Jerry, that those will ultimately come to pass in the millennial kingdom, that thousand-year period during which Christ himself will reign. Uh, since 1948, of course, uh, the Jews have been returning to the land. They're presently in unbelief, but Scripture indicates that there will one day be a recognition of the Israelites that Jesus indeed is the Messiah. And uh, I, I place that closer to the second coming or at the second coming. Ron, let me let me uh, pick up on something you mentioned the millennium a millennium a moment ago. Yes, and you know, I'm thinking, you know, when you look at uh, Revelation 20. 
you see the the battle, um, the Gog and Magog yes. in 20, and that seems to be after the thousand years, after the millennium. And it seems to me you're going back to Ezekiel, probably chapter 38, uh, on some of these other references. Can you explain uh, the difference between those conflicts or how you see them uh, together? Well, you know, that's a very good question. That's been one of those debated issues throughout the years. I personally see these as two different battles, and I don't equate the uh, the Battle of Gog and Magog with Armageddon. Uh, after all, Armageddon involves all the nations of the earth. Uh, by contrast, the Battle of Gog and Magog involves a very specific northern military coalition made up of nations like Russia and Iran, Sudan, Turkey, and Libya, and maybe some other Muslim nations. Uh, that's clear from Ezekiel 38, verses 1 to 6. Furthermore, the locations are very different. Uh, in Armageddon, the destruction takes place at the Mount of Megiddo, about 60 miles north of Jerusalem, whereas the destruction in Ezekiel takes place on the mountains of Israel. Furthermore, in Armageddon, in Revelation 19, verse 15, the uh, casualties that take place are due to the personal appearance of Jesus at the second coming, whereas the uh, northern military coalition, result, uh, they, they actually die as a result of a number of things, including a great earthquake, uh, infighting among the troops of the various nations and the outbreak of disease, uh, a torrential raining of fire and brimstone upon the troops, according to Ezekiel 38, verses 20 to 22. And so the point is, that there are some key differences between the two. All right, you have this in your book then, don't you? Absolutely. So that's why we want to promote your book today, Northern Storm Rising, folks. This is about Russia, Iran and an end-times military coalition against Israel. Now, Ron, I have to ask you this. We heard that John Hagee quote a moment ago. I want to listen uh, right now. I want you to listen to a book that he's promoting, and he makes some very interesting statements about Jesus not presenting himself as Messiah. I would like for you to react to this. I'm delighted to present my latest book, In Defense of Israel. This book will expose the sins of the fathers and the vicious abuse of the Jewish people. In defense of Israel will shape Christian theology. It scripturally proves that the Jewish people as a whole did not reject Jesus as Messiah. It will also prove that Jesus did not come to earth to be the Messiah. It will prove that there was a Calvary conspiracy between Rome, the high priest and Herod to execute Jesus as an insurrectionist too dangerous to live. Since Jesus refused by word and deed to claim to be the Messiah, how can the Jews be blamed for rejecting what was never offered? Okay, our guest is Ron Rose. We were listening to a recording by John Hagee. Uh, Ron, he said the Jews did not reject Jesus as Messiah. Hagee said Jesus did not come to be Messiah. And he said that Jesus refused to acknowledge himself as Messiah. Ron, is this a case of a man so pro-Israel that he is actually undermining the gospel. Well, I think he is. I don't know where he's getting what he's saying. I don't think that's the biblical view. In fact, uh, really, the entire Bible, the Old and the New Testaments, is messianic in nature. Uh, after all, the entire Old Testament has multiple messianic prophecies about the coming one, the anointed one. And, of course, all those messianic prophecies were fulfilled in the coming of Jesus. And even when the early disciples were uh, following Jesus, they recognized that in Jesus was the anointed one, the Messiah. 
I mean, when Peter said, "Thou art the Christ, the yes, Son of the I mean, Living God," the word that's Christ Messiah. Parallel, that's Messiah. Messiah, right? So, and Jesus said, "Upon this rock I will build my church." That is essentially this confession, or the fact that I am the Messiah. Uh, that's the basis of the of the church. Well, that's right. The, you know, the entire Old Testament points forward to the coming of the Messiah. The New Testament represents the fulfillment of the Messiah. And so I don't know where John Hagee's getting that. It's certainly not a biblical viewpoint, and he's departed, really, I think, from the, the historic view of Christianity. Well, he said it will shake Christian theology. It certainly, certainly is a challenge to Christian theology. Ron, I want to tell our listeners that you have two closing chapters. One is Messianic Prophecies Fulfilled in Christ. So that's very interesting. And also a chapter, If You Are Not a Christian. So you end with an evangelistic appeal. Well, Ron, we want to thank you for coming on. The book is Northern Storm Rising. Ron Rhodes is the author. We'll have you back again. Thank you so much. All right, folks. Fascinating because, uh, Penna, this is certainly in the news, the Middle East. And uh, what does God's Word say about Israel? And what does God's Word say about the future of Israel and about that part of the world. Well, it's always good to be aware of what God's Word says, but also not to uh, try to put dates on things, and we have to be very cautious about doing that. But this is a fascinating book. It is. And again, I think, uh, you know, we you're right about the caution. I remember old Lindsay. How mm-hmm. Lindsay means well, I'm sure, but 1980s countdown to... Came and, go, came and went. <laughs> countdown to Armageddon. And he said, no way this goes beyond the 80s. Well, it certainly did. Well, today, again, is the birthday of Martin Luther King Jr. I want to play a brief sound bite and comment on it. I still have a dream. Yes. It is a dream deeply rooted in the American dream. Yes. I have a dream that one day yes. this nation will rise up and live out the true meaning of its creed. We hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal. All right. Created equal. Created equal and endowed with our Creator with certain rights. The right to life, the right to liberty, the pursuit of happiness. These are rights in the Declaration rooted in the Creator God who has given them to us. Don't forget that. Dr. King, wise to remember it. Tomorrow, Mel Lawrence's book, I Want to Believe. You've been listening to Jerry Johnson Live, a Christian worldview radio show. Join Dr. Jerry Johnson, president of Criswell College and Criswell Communications, Monday through Friday at 5 p.m. for an hour of relevant discussion of news and culture from a Christian perspective.